Hey guys, welcome to Between the Pints Brew News, your source for the business side of craft beer. I'm your host, Aaron Gore, a.k.a. the future mall Santa, and I'm joined as always by my co-host. Uh, Ryan Moses, the beer counselor. Ryan, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, it's been a weird... I live with a very pregnant woman who is... You better be very <laughs> careful about what you say on this podcast. <laughs> who is very tired and... We are in the third trimester, and she is getting to that place where it's like, I just kind of want this. I just want him on the outside right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's only by the end of this trimester, if you guys go through any of what my my wife and I went through with ours, it's you're just she's going to be so ready to have this kid just to get the hell out of her, yes. and you guys are both collectively just going to be like bursting at the seams waiting to meet him because you know he's right there, and he's yeah. just not out here with you. Yeah, I think, yeah, Leah, she's had nausea throughout the whole pregnancy. It's not morning sickness, it's just, <laughs> just general sickness. nausea. <laughs> and so that's that was the main thing that's been happening the whole seven months, seven and a half months. But now it's getting to the point where she's her feet are swelling and she's just tired and he's kicking yeah she's extremely <laughs> pregnant <laughs> yeah she's just like i can yeah. give that diagnosis even without <laughs> yeah. her in the room that's exactly what the problem is right now so we're soon, looking at soon, january 17th and we have our growth checkup well, everybody says that the first baby's yeah. here a little early but my daughter was born directly <laughs> on her directly on her uh her proposed date so hey listen it, it yeah. can happen uh, which, much to my wife and I's chagrin, my wife was so ready for that little girl to be born. <laughs> uh, yeah, so today, guys, another episode of Brew News for our listeners at home who are wondering, hey, Ryan, Aaron, we love Brew News, but we also love your guys' hot takes on issues within the industry. We love interviews with people from around the industry. So Where are we. those? <laughs> Is it, so do we. And uh, the issue there has not been finding guests for for the show. It's been actually quite the opposite. The people in the industry, particularly here in Charlotte, but even people who are visiting from other parts of the uh, the country, have been great. They've been uh, super excited to be on the show. The biggest stopping point right here has honestly been Ryan and I's schedule. <laughs> so once we get on the other side of the new year, I know we've made an enormous amount of promises. We'll probably break most of them, but... Uh, we'll definitely uh, be a little better about getting some of those other segments done up, as well as your brew news coverage on a biweekly basis. And hopefully, if some of the, particularly if one of the things that we're trying to do happens, it'll make things much simpler. And we're nice also, and ambiguous. I like yeah. it. We keep the mystery here <laughs> between the pints. Yeah, um, we sh- and we actually, it's actually a grant that we applied for to. <laughs> Don't pay goddamn <laughs> I wanted like this big victory parade. I want to be able to surprise yeah. people. And if we didn't get it, then I could quietly shuffle yeah. it under the table. And if yes, that we'll find out soon about that. Hopefully. I'm just saying if you don't <laughs> give it to us now, you got tons of really disappointed listeners, guys. So there there we go. And we're also looking for other ways to get the funds to hey, do hey, what hey. we're trying to do. Our funds are in order. <laughs> Let's roll yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. Moving on to brew news. <laughs> so anyways, Ryan, what do you got for us here today? I'm going to start off with something, an article that I read that comes from England. I think it's from The Guardian. Ah, the land of tea and crumpets. Middle they might have beer too. It's, it's a beer. Well, middle classes risk health for super strength craft beers. Basically... <laughs> This is the most like British, yes, like kind of article yes. imaginable. <laughs> it's it, we'll talk about final table later, and you've watched it, and you saw the episode with the British chef, 
and we'll get there. <laughs> she complained. And she said something about this is a little bit too salty. And Leah and my Leah, my wife and I looked at each other and like, "You're British. It has, it has yeah, it salt. has flavor. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. Ah, Britain, well known for its cuisine. <laughs> but anyway, the middle classes risk hell for super drink craft beers. Basically, this article it's complaining. Well, not complaining, but it's pointing out the risks of the high ABV beers, and for them, high ABV means 8%. I was about to say, <laughs> high ABV for, for England is basically like standard IPA for America. Yeah, I mean, it's like, literally, like, all the beers they list in here are, like, the highest is, like, 9.2. Who like, shudder. <laughs> yeah. However will you get through. And basically, the article, it's almost this neo-prohibitionist claptrap of, oh, if you make these high ABV beers, these kids will go out and get these beers and binge drink. There's kids been a, these days. There's been a spike in binge drinking in England in the last couple yeah, of years. So, something tells me the gin has something to do with that say, more yeah, than more if, than craft beer. If you're a poor teenager, regardless of the country you're in, beer is not going to be the cost-effective way to binge drink. No, no. It, <laughs> it's just be much, honest. much more efficient <laughs> to find some cheap. Like, like Bur- Burnett's is, is a way better way of getting drunk on the cheap. Than yeah. craft beer. If you're going for craft beer, then you have multiple problems. For one, you're fiscally irresponsible. <laughs> yeah. And drunk. That's a terrible combination. This is how you wake up in the morning and realize you bought like a Nintendo Switch while you're shit-faced at the bar at like 2 a.m. Yes, I am indeed talking about you, Larry. Former regular at the bar I worked at. That's why you should never put your credit card information on your phone no terrible terrible Terrible. okay so my my christmas present my wife just gave me which i'm wearing right now is actually a samsung smartwatch which oh yeah actually that's the one i want that guy dude it's it's actually really cool uh which i didn't even know i needed one and now i can't imagine life without one it's been almost 24 hours but no i i am not setting up like google pay on this thing because there's no way that ends well for me if i can just wave my wrist and pay for something that's a tear i need as many obstacles to me spending money as possible oh i've like done the drunk buying things on amazon before oh it's a terrible (laughs) idea idea. terrible (laughs) even if it's something you actually wanted i guarantee you didn't price check you got something that is not free shipping with prime um you probably bought more of it than you needed (laughs) Like, there's nothing good that happens when drunk shopping. (laughs) I'm I'm a huge fan of treat yourself, but that is not the right way to do it. (laughs) I think this article basically kind of points out that England is still in the beginning stages of its craft beer evolution. Because they're in the point where the United States was, what, 10 years ago when all the double IPAs and the Imperial Stouts really started taking off. Well, people were, oh... It's beer, and kids will go out and drink this really high ABV beer. And it's like, no. No, that's, no. Not. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it works. This ain't Zima. If they're, drinking, if they're binge drinking beer, first of all, if you can drink two 750 milliliter bottles of delirium in one night, God bless you. Yo, yeah, no, no. You deserve a medal <laughs> not to be shamed for it. Let's so, give you, that man like a, like a float and march him down the street, a parade yeah, or something. Yeah, th- and I think it is a fascinating look into the fact that like different countries out, outside, we kind of lose sight in America. We forget a there is craft beer that is developing all over the world, but by the really? same time, I know surprising, right? But we also forget that they are at different yeah. stages. Like we here in America really kind of pioneered the craft beer movement, building on a foundation of kind of old world beers, particularly from Germany, Belgium, and England. Yeah, but. 
Those we're old, we're a decent ways further down the track as far as getting that kind of craft brewing movement going. Yeah, those and old world brewers have just now started to well, not the brewers, yeah, it's but not the, the old world brewers. It's the kids who grew I don't up, think Vines yeah. Fonds making IPAs now. <laughs> it's the kids who grew up and maybe came to the United States for a, a semester abroad, found craft beer, moved back to Germany, and went. I want hops now. <laughs> <laughs> kind of crazy how that works, you know. It's like, so, um, yeah, it's yeah. You're right there. So I actually got different. a story kind of covering another country and okay. and kind of outlining their own specific peculiarities when it comes to the craft beer industry. <laughs> I know. It's so like, yeah. Canada, wonderful country to the north. Our our maple syrup loving friend, America's hat. I love Canada. Uh, and Canada, a lot of people, especially in America, don't realize does have a lot of great craft beer. I mean, it, it is a country whose craft beer culture is not quite as developed as America, but it's honestly probably closer than any other country yeah. on earth. Uh, you know, it insert a little more English influence rather than the German influence we have in America, uh, Belgian if we're talking Quebec. But it's got a rich craft beer culture that has really yes. been coming along strongly. Uh, but if we thought American liquor laws were stupid. Okay, so in Canada. <laughs> Alberta, that's a province in Canada for our less geographically yes. inclined listeners, is suing Ontario. Yes. That's another province in Canada. That is one province suing another. Yeah, Canadian, like our federal system, the states basically are forced to cooperate and forced to, you know, deal with each other. In Canada... Your provinces are kind of like separate fucking countries. Yeah, there's like these little individualized countries. Now, Alberta, which is basically Texas, is suing Ontario, which is basically New York. Uh, and the two of them are arguing because – so in Canada, I mean, here in America, we're familiar with the idea of like an ABC board, an alcohol beverage commission. Yeah. Most states have their own ABC that kind of at least sets the pace for alcohol regulations state to state. But – by and large, and I say this by and large, we've talked on the show before about some of the frustrations and, and neo-prohibitionism, et cetera, et cetera, that take place in the U.S. But, but they don't involve trade wars they between states. They don't involve <laughs> trade wars between states. In general, if you want to hop across the border from North Carolina, South Carolina, buy some beer and go back across the border, that's fine. If you're a South Carolina brewery and you want to have your beer served in North Carolina, you have to find a wholesaler. But aside from that, there are no other yeah. additional or specific restrictions. In Canada, not so much. So every single province in Canada, with the sole exception of Alberta, has a liquor commission, which has a state monopoly on alcohol sales. Yeah, You have to buy alcohol at state-controlled ABC stores. You do see this in some... Uh, U.S. states, but usually it only applies to hard liquor. Yeah, uh, in in the North U.S. Carolina. Yeah, North like North Carolina and South Carolina. Are, yeah. This covers yeah. all <laughs> alcohol in Canada, outside of Alberta. So Alberta is arguing that. So essentially, a lot of these state liquor monopolies will protect businesses within their province. So Ontario's Liquor Commission provides preferential shelving space. Provides preferential tax and handling fees as if it costs more to handle a beer because it, it is vaguely foreign. And by foreign, I mean from two minutes that away in Alberta. Uh, they are like, they, you know, only pick up certain products. I, I forget the exact numbers, but it was, uh, let, let's see if I can get it. It was absolutely ridiculous the sheer amount of representation yeah. as well. So uh, there are 37 products from other parts of Canada. Uh, in Alberta that are being sold in their state liquor stores. 
Well, well uh, no, well, there's 3,700 products oh, 3, from other parts of Canada. Okay. 745 are from Ontario. That's, that's a pretty decent percentage. Okay. By contrast, Ontario only sells 20 <laughs> Alberta products in spite of their actual market being three times as large. So that gives you an idea of the frustration here. So Alberta, there's actually something called the Canadian Free Trade Agreement, which was designed, which is ridiculous that this is a thing that needed to happen, designed to basically, it basically says provinces cannot provide undue... Uh, disadvantages to businesses from outside of individual provinces. Clearly what Ontario and and every other province is doing in their own way, Ontario is just the largest one by a decent bit, are doing is is pretty much a violation of that. And Alberta is basically suing to say, hey, not cool, this is protectionism, this is a violation of the Canadian Free Trade Agreement. Now keep in mind, in spite of not having a liquor commission, Alberta does offer tax incentives and tax breaks for breweries and suppliers which are within their own borders so it's not like they're an exception to this rule but it's just a fascinating thing that this has gone to court uh it's a full-fledged lawsuit this would be the equivalent of like i said like new york and texas suing each other because you can't ship i i i don't know new york apples to texas and you can't ship new york or texas brisket to new york it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, and it's just hilarious to kind of watch. And I, I think for a moment we should all just take a moment, <laughs> take a minute, and and just be happy that we live in the greatest country to drink beer in on planet Earth. Yeah, as screwed up as our laws are, like you said, you can still buy Brooklyn Brewing beer in Texas. You can still buy, you know, <coughs> Texas beer in New York, yeah. but. You can buy Sierra Nevada, like in yeah. just about anywhere, and even like like right here in in Charlotte, we can still buy beer from Westbrook, which is down in Charleston, South Carolina, yeah. without there being like a two hundred percent tax. So this, is, like, yeah, exactly. So it is literally cheaper and easier, and this this isn't a, a hyperbole. This is fact. It's cheaper and easier for Canadian breweries to ship yeah. to the U.S. or to ship to Europe than it is to ship to their neighboring provinces. And you can't bring... There is a tight control on how... I think it's two cases uh, for most provinces is all you're allowed to buy and bring back from another province. So you can't go and buy a ton of alcohol and then bring it back with you to home just because the taxes are cheaper in your neighboring province or you like the breweries over there. There was a ca- Good luck. Case, there was a court case last year where a guy sued... I think, I think he actually sued Ontario because he was trying to do that. He was just trying to buy as much beer as he could in Ontario because it was cheaper because he liked a couple of breweries there and just drive it back to his house. He got stopped at the border, <laughs> which, which he is got the stopped most at the border <laughs> between provinces in the same country. And yeah, he took, I can't remember. I think it might still be still being litigated in Canada, but yeah, he took him to court. <laughs> like what? I don't this is <laughs> real life folks. Like th- this is real life. Oh man. oh man! So I'm I'm trying to look up the actual name of it. So there, I was actually okay. Just there's a documentary called Craft Beer. Yeah, it was very very basic name. Yeah. It was actually put on by CBC Canadian yeah, Broadcasting it, yeah. Company. Um, you can find it on Amazon Prime. It's actually really yeah. fascinating watch. Uh, pretty pretty easy documentary to watch, but it covers uh, Nova Scotia's craft brewing industry. And they they spent half the freaking movie is basically talking about the native alcohol. Uh, Control Commission and yeah. the neighboring province, provincial ones, and just talking about how many obstacles and how, how this has slowed down 
growth in, in an industry that can, can, I mean, Canada has high per capita beer consumption. They have a lot of the same kind of craft beer interests. I mean, American IPAs are one of the most popular styles, both among imported beer and among Canadian craft breweries. It's they should have as rich of a craft beer culture as America, and they want to. But yeah, this this whole system has just made it comical. <laughs> Absolutely comical. All right, what do you got else for us, Ryan? Oh, I have another article. The LGBT-owned Denizens Brewery challenges straight bro beer culture. Out of Maryland. That was a yes. fantastic brewery. I've had some of the yeah. beer. I actually took my first Cicerone test with uh, two other employees. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this article is just about the brewery, and <clears throat> it mostly centers on Julie Verratti, who you've probably... We've actually talked about her on the show yeah, before. we've talked about her on the show before, and she's one of those people that if we... On our dream list of people we would like to interview for the show, she is on it, and it just talks about her. Just, just saying, if you're ever in the area, Julie, <laughs> check, look us up. <laughs> just in just how she and her wife and their friend started Denison's Brewery, and how it's not how it's not <laughs> it's not a gay brewery in that like a gay bar, but it's a brewery that it tries to be open. And inclusive, inclusive to everyone who comes through the doors, and that thing. God forbid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think the title kind of, the title of the article kind of. It the art title of the article is not quite what the article is about, but it does kind of get at what. Well, you still got to get those clicks, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's basically <laughs> what the art, the title does is try to get clicks, because it talks about bro. bro bro beer culture and they do and Julie does talk about how a little bit about how they are trying to be different and more inclusive than a lot of breweries around but it's not really about that it's more about how she and her friend and her wife started this brewery and what their vision for this brewery and craft beer going forward is and how inclusive that needs to be to continue to grow and to move forward and it's one of the things that's such a shame is you know a, a lesbian couple founds a brewery, and the instant assumption is, oh, it's a lesbian brewery. And yeah. you don't see that. Like, if I were to found a brewery, no one's looking at it and saying, hey, that's a leprechaun brewery. No, <laughs> they're looking at it and saying, you know, that that's just a brewery. Yeah. And that's the kind of thinking that we really need to get away from. Uh, it, you got places that are owned by people of color. You have places that are owned by women. Uh you know, places that are founded by, for example, a gay couple. Yeah. And they don't need to be defined by that aspect. If if anything, you need to see this as just like any of those other breweries. Go there for the quality of the beer. Go there for the quality of the atmosphere. And the moment that you start trying to say, hey, is this for me? Now, now you've just put yourself in the position of everybody who's not you when you're looking at breweries in general. And that that's yeah. the wrong approach. Yeah. And so check those places out. Yeah, I think that's... Plus, Denison's beer is really good, and they have, <laughs> yeah. like, three Cicerones on staff. I mean, it is a fantastic spot, so please. Yeah, and I think it kind of one of, our, one of my plans for the next year in the articles and the things that I kind of see us trying to do, I think one of the things that I want to concentrate on is trying to find at least one article every week about diversity and... And it's honestly not yeah. hard. Those changes yeah. are starting the to take yeah, place. The different the how how craft beer is changing to be more diverse and more inclusive in its approach to craft beer and its approach to its customers. And even if yeah. you are, you know, 
a straight white dude with a beard, aka average, you know, person <laughs> yeah. in the craft beer industry right now, aka me. Um, I mean, let's even look at this from a strictly financial perspective. I mean, again, women especially, that's 50% of the market. You're yeah. leaving on the table if you don't find ways of, of marketing across the aisle to them. Uh, people of color, I mean, that's 25% minimum of people that you... Actually, it's probably closer at this point to about 40% of, 40, of American yeah. population that you're basically leaving on the table. So. This is a huge swath of potential customers yeah. that you're leaving on the table just because you don't see the point. So, so e- even if we're just talking from a, a point of self-interest, yeah. there's a huge incentive there. I mean, speaking of uh, Constellation Brands, who we've talked on this show plenty, they're actually investing $100 million uh, by 2028 in businesses connected to the beverage or beverage-adjacent industries that are either women-founded or women-led. Yeah, uh, and they they basically said exactly that. They said, you know, this is the biggest opportunity for growth within the industry, and if we are able to foster that and bring in new innovation and and new viewpoints and, and new ways of thinking and inject that into our industries, and really give them the opportunity to grow and expand and change this all for the better, then we definitely need to be doing that. We want to be on the ground floor. It's it's being done through their VC arm and. Personally, I think yeah. that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Constellation right now is probably the most forward-looking of the large. Uh, it's not. E- it's company. not even a question. You yeah. you put them up against anybody like San Miguel, Heineken, uh, Anheuser like Anheuser Busch, <laughs> who are who are painfully <laughs> backwards-looking. Uh, Molson Coors. It's not even close. Like Constellation yeah. is just running on all cylinders here. And yeah. the only major mistake I think that they have made so far was overpaying for Ballast Point. And honestly, I'll still even pay it itself <laughs> back. I mean, they're they're just yeah. they're winning right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 What else you got for us? Uh, Marquette Brewing Cooperative unveils official name and future plans. This is in this is Marquette, Michigan, and this company is Brewing Cooperative. Marquette Brewing Cooperative. It's changed its name to if I get this right, Drifa. Drifa. What the hell is Drifa? It, it ties into the local Norwegian Finnish Swedish culture in the area. I bet it does. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what yeah, the iterations and design, but they're. Basically, I'm just going to found really... a brewery. It's going to be like 20 German syllables in a row with like seven exclamation points. I'm just going to see how long it takes for someone to just like like completely check out on me. The name actually means very little to me. I don't care. But it's just the the concept of the brewing cooperative is kind of what I wanted to talk about. Because what it is, it's... Wait, would this happen to be near and dear to your heart, Ryan? Would this, this happen actually... to be an idea that they beat you to the punch on? Oh, well, this is actually a different cooperative than what I was thinking about. This is basically... It's members, individual members, and specifically geared towards home brewers. So they're trying to help home brewers. Basically, if you become a member for five hundred to a thousand dollars, you get access to if you're a home, especially if you're a home brewer, you get access to ingredients and you know equipment and all that kind of stuff. And you have a say as a cooperative. You have a say in the beer that is being brewed. The direction of the brewery, and you know, it's a really interesting idea of creating a grassroots brewery where it's the people in the community all own part of the brewery, and so it's yeah, it gives you bulk buying power, and uh, it gives you the opportunity to you know share some of the costs on ingredients, share the costs on space, equipment, and you know, still be able to turn out a product for people to enjoy yeah and like uh, i said this is geared towards homebrew the, the it's kind of geared towards homebrewers and so i will be yeah. curious to see 
I, I do think it is a good way of monetizing that and a good way of creating yeah. a financially workable way of doing this. It, I'm curious to see how it winds up working out in practice. I think it runs. <laughs> I think the biggest. Well, I think the biggest obstacle for it is. I mean, we we have talked about this with similar concepts, including ones close to home. Is the biggest issue with any sort of anybody can come in and brew what they want to brew is it complicates your supply chain because you lose out on that ability to do bulk purchasing because yeah. usually a brewery will plan out their brewing schedule and try to plan as many beers to use as many of the same products as possible. It's not a matter of restricting the potentialities of the beer. I mean, you can still get plenty of great beer out of a relatively limited handful of different types of ingredients, but it allows them to basically get bulk discounts on yeah. grain, on hop contracts, etc. You lose that when you're basically, hey, who needs what? Which is the big, I feel like, yeah. appeal of a place like this, aside from having the ability to commercialize your yeah. homebrew without you know having to invest in a full-size brewery, is just you lose out on a lot of that ability. If someone is over here and he's like, man, I really need a lot of Crystal 60, and I'm, I have to have yeah. Watwika hops... And this guy over here is like, all I need is Pilsner Base Malt, but I also need, you know, you know, Saz and Tetnanger. Yeah. It becomes real hard to find a way of maximizing your buying power, and that that is pretty much the other half of the main appeal of this. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this works in principle. I do think it's not a terrible idea. Yeah. I, I want it to work, and I, think, and I think it is a reasonable approach to it, but it has got its own difficulties. And I think their idea is a combination of that along with, people who aren't homebrewers or who are just wanting to invest so it's almost like a way around a corporate well, way around of incorporating yourself basically it's a workaround actually having to do all the paperwork and everything to be an actual corporation you don't even have to drive to delaware it's great yeah well and <laughs> i'm someone who has started a corporation who has incorporated a business it's more an it's when you do it with that many people, it gets annoying because you have shareholders and you have, you actually have, that's when you get into, you have to have meetings and you have to keep net. And there's yeah. even people <laughs> as, as near as Charlotte, there's even some breweries as near as Charlotte who have run into the issue of, and this goes beyond Charlotte. I mean, I, yeah. I can name ones from across both Carolinas that have run into this problem. They get too many investors early on. Yeah. And now those shareholders, well, for one, shareholders have a tendency to want their money back and I yes. can't fault them. That's why they invested. <laughs> and they want a return on they investment. Want a return on investment <laughs> and they have a right to have their yeah. opinion heard on your business practices which yeah. can become difficult when you have a vision and you're trying to realize that as a business and and it can also result in the issue where some of those people might want to pull their money out and and the, these can be unique problems that, that breweries can run into especially in the long haul if you are not seeing continued growth a lot of times those early investors they they want to get paid out and they want to leave and that sets you back enormously so you have to find another way yeah. to monetize and Brewing is not a big cash business. It's not the kind <laughs> yeah. of industry where you're going to see these payouts where you can just like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we'll just aim for a big Q2 and we'll use that to pay everybody <laughs> off and then reinvest in the company. Now you, yeah, no, 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 you want to eat. Uh, you eat keep yeah. the lights on. I mean, the, these are the important things. So. I mean, if you ask Dick Cantwell from, you know, Elysian, that's how they ended up being sold because he didn't want to sell. It was shareholders. Did. Shareholders were like, and I can't blame the shareholders. Yeah. They they wanted a payout. That's why they invested in the company. And yeah, uh, I mean, Dick's got some great <laughs> stories about that that whole process. And he yeah. he is a uh, a vocal vocal guy. But 
Yeah, no, and these these are the things that you do run into. So it's always something to keep in mind anytime you're starting any business, whether it's brewing or anything else. If you are finding an enormous amount of relatively small dollar investors, that can oftentimes be a much bigger liability than a handful of fairly large yeah. dollar investors. Yeah, like I said, because, because they have relatively little investment, but they also want the money in, so they can yeah. try and pull that out at any time. <laughs> oh, dude, my last story is... TTB accepts $1.5 million offer in compromise for trade practice violations. Well, who who is this from? Was this a, a brewer? The TTP. Was this a, a brew pub? No. Was this, a, was this a supplier of any sort, Ryan? This would be Eagle Brands. Now, what did they do? They are distributor. Oh, no. They are distributor in Miami, and they are the primary distributor I apologize in, in advance to our friends who are wholesalers, because <laughs> we do have plenty of friends yeah. who are wholesalers, and we love you guys. But Eagle Brand is the primary distributor of ABI products in Miami, and what they were doing, what is what they were doing is what is now, what, I'm one of the people who is trying to, who started calling it this, the illusion of choice. They were basically going to retailers, bars, <laughs> you know, bottle shops. All and, the places yeah. that you might find your local alcohol. And basically, the ones who didn't know a lot about craft beer did not know that Elysian, Golden Road, Wicked Weed, they were all owned, and many others <laughs> are all owned by ABI. Yeah. So Eagle Brands, their reps would go into a place and say, you know, I can get you this, 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 and this, a little bit discount, you know, and... And all they Basically, saw is, they, hey, yeah. I'm getting 10 craft breweries, and I don't have to pay a whole lot. And yeah. You can't expect Applebee's <laughs> to have somebody on no. staff who necessarily knows a lot about alcohol. That, that's just that's yeah. not their, their just, job, yeah. and, and frankly, I don't blame them no. one bit. I, I would not expect them to. Yeah. When I walk in as a consumer, I would not expect them yeah. to. So in that sense, all those breweries are owned by one company. That is illegal. <laughs> now... When we tell you, and you know, we've we're starting to reach the point in the issues with Anheuser Busch InBev, um, you know, even for just a back backfill on in for anybody who might have missed it up to this point, even though we talk about it almost every week. You know, it's the company that owns Budweiser. They're the largest uh, beverage, the largest beer manufacturer on the planet, and they own was it eleven or twelve? Twelve now, I think. I think it might be twelve. Twelve. Now. Faux craft breweries, formerly craft breweries that they have since bought up, and essentially they are now brands within the Anheuser-Busch portfolio. When they're able to walk into a place and create this illusion of choice for often, uh, I I don't want to say uneducated because it sounds harsher than I mean, but not not specifically knowledgeable buyers and create this option where they're basically can one-stop shop for craft beer. You know, I'm doing the air quotes here. Uh, I can't blame the con- the retailer for making that buying decision, especially when they're able to undercut prices. A lot of these brands, Anheuser-Busch sells at a loss. Now, yeah. the reason that they are doing this is to take up tap space, to take up shelf space, to basically undermine the actual independent craft breweries or you know even the ones who who might have minority ownership from you know whether it's a VC or like Majo San Miguel yeah. out of Spain. They're doing this to undermine the marketplace. And anybody who we've we've reached that point in this whole argument where a lot of people are starting to experience kind of exhaustion at the outrage or a- outrage apathy. They're they're kind of tired of being angry about it and they're saying, What's the problem? Well, this is the problem. Yeah. Things like this is why they bought these breweries in the first place. And it's these tactics that are so dangerous, particularly in the long term. So if you like 
having choice when you go out. This isn't an issue of, well, if it tastes good, I'll drink it. Ten years down the line, do you only want those 12 breweries yeah. as choices? Because that is their end game. Yeah, this is, to use some big words, anti, you anti-competitive. Know, anti-competitive and monopolistic. That's what, as much as ABI tries to position themselves as this benevolent, yes, we own these, cra- we're trying to help the craft beer industry. You, you, that's, that's their that's lie. That's a lie. And it's a lie. They don't care about the craft beer industry. They care about... Now, you can make the argument that Heineken does. And it'd be a tough one, but you can yeah. definitely make the argument Constellation does. I think they very much yeah. do. They're invested in it. They, they yeah. have too deep an investment in it. <laughs> um, you can make the argument about San Miguel. They, I think they definitely do. Sapporo definitely yeah. does. But Anheuser-Busch and Bev was even originally very transparent about the fact. Yeah. Long-term goal. Crash craft. That way we can go ahead and get back to selling, you know. Selling this yeah. crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> C- crash, delicious, like, like artisanal, grill-fired Wagyu beef hamburgers. That way we can get back to selling the Big Macs. Like, exactly. That's, that, now, I'm not going to yeah. argue that there are times that you, maybe it's just easier to grab a Big Mac. Maybe that's all you want that day. But do you like having the option to go to, like, you know, right here in town, Harry's Grill or, you know, the, the Liberty before it shut down? Yeah. And there, there we go. Perfect example. Do you want the option to go to these places and have a good burger? Yes. Yeah. You won't have that if <laughs> if they're able to crash that. So it's just it, yeah. stuff like this is so frustrating when you see wholesalers doing this. So and, you know I'm yeah. clapping over here. And it find does, a way. It does. And we get back. It does matter who owns the beer you're drinking. I mean, it actually it in the end it does matter. And yes, there is a, <coughs> I guess, and yeah, you know, like you said, there is a. Not an anger, apathy, but it's people are getting inured. Another big word, inured to the idea that ABI. That's two syllables. Don't get cocky. <laughs> they're getting inured to the idea that ABI owns Wicked Weed and they own Devil's Backbone. They're tired of, tired of caring. Yeah. Caring takes effort, and and I I encourage yeah. people do still care. There's seven thousand breweries in the U.S. You have so many other choices. It's not even like you're having to tiptoe around this. It, it's an easy thing to do to uh, just not buy their brands. I had a lady come in to the store, and she was looking for some beer. I think for her husband, and she, he likes you. You his hop nosh. We didn't have any. Some pointing out all these other beers that she can try that are close to hot. They have kind of the same flavor profile that she would, that her husband would probably like. And you know, and she's like, "All right, thank you. And I'll keep looking." So I'll go off and do something else. And then look over, and she buys a six pack of Wicked Weed per- Freak, Freak of Nature. She didn't even buy permit pernicious, but it was. I she didn't feel- even get the good one. Yeah, I have a feeling what it was is she hurt she had in her mind she had heard of wicked weed and like you said top it, of mind is yeah. everything in and retail instead sales of, you know taking the chance on you know me telling her here's a brand her, i've yeah. never heard of that's probably a dollar more or yeah. you can it's, get a yeah. brand you know you've heard of for Better, a dollar yeah. less and she's seen her husband drink this goes. brand before and so she bought it and it's and now have a feeling neither one of them have any idea who and for, actually owns wicked weed and for those yeah. of you who 
say, well, this is just the marketplace deciding. And I understand that argument. I mean, you can be a free market capitalist and still have an enormous pro- problem with this because, well, it, it is it an enormous problem. It diminishes the free market. It diminishes the free market. It's not only monopolistic from a strictly technical definition. I mean, if you look even at the uh, the Justice Department's definitions of a monopolistic business, yeah. the only reason the and the only argument ABI had for why they are not a de facto monopoly is the fact that they are losing market share to craft, ironically. <laughs> yes. uh, they actually have over the limit of uh, market share to be declared a monopoly. They engage in anti-competitive practices like a monopoly. So th- this issue, and and they are also doing illegal things. So you can't even make the arg- <laughs> the technical argument of legality. This is pay to play. This is anti-competitive. I mean, the, the, they're even the merger with SAB Miller. It was within the Justice Department for a long time and has basically been decried by every legal expert. So. This isn't even an argument of, well, that's just the market. No, the, this is, the goal here is to crash yeah. the free market. And ironically, the fact Kraft is still doing well in spite of is the only reason that there hasn't been further legal action taken by the Justice mm-hmm. Department. Yeah, something, something We're getting kind of down a rabbit hole here. but yeah. And I'll like to just say this last little thing because it made me laugh this weekend or this week. Uh, on Twitter, someone was complaining about, you know, their... A local brewery had given was giving away their pints to local bars. And this guy tweeted back, it's like, dude, ABI is buying people fucking coolers and you're worried about a case of damn glasses. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they're buying full fledged draft systems. Yes. Yeah, that, it's. I mean, and you saw something very similar. I mean, one of the stories that I had was a uh, craft beer guild in Massachusetts, yep. and I say this with love. They were my they were my wholesaler. I worked with on a daily basis when I was working with Finch Beer up there. I, they got slammed with a two point six million dollar fine. This was last year. Yeah, and they're appealing it right now, and and it's not looking good for them. <laughs> um, and, and you know the alt. That, that's in addition to the 90-day license suspension that they got, which if you're a wholesaler, that's <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's worse than the $2.6 million yeah. fine by a large margin. Yeah. Seven-year license suspended for uh, 90 days. So, <laughs> yeah, it, these things need to happen, though. This is how... This is how good regulation works to ensure that the actual competition takes place. And so there's not handshake deals, shadiness, and, you know, dollar politics taking the place of, you know, retailers being able to select the best product for their consumers, being able to bring them in at the most competitive price point, and being able to then pass that on to people who might want to go out and have options while they're drinking. Yeah. And it's we'll 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 get off. Let's let's get off our soapboxes. Yeah. Like we're climbing down. Yeah. All right, that was the sound of us climbing down off our soapboxes, yeah. guys. Like, and trust us, we like you wholesalers and distributors. We, we do, and there's some very very good very ones. good ones here in Charlotte. And even the ones who might work for an organization that engages in these, a lot of the people working there are great. Yeah. I, I our ABI wholesaler right here in town. I don't think I'm saying anything controversial when I say that. Boy, they have really managed to to make a muck with a lot of you know buyers and a lot of people in the industry around the city but by the same token i love my rep for them he's a great guy well you have a rep for now that way they go through reps in six months you will have like three different people it's over the next six months (laughs) okay we're back off the soapboxes all right next story next story all right so uh moving on still still talking a little about big beer but this is a more of a more of a fascinating story than coming down on anybody. Uh, Miller Coors and Pabst Brewing Company, they just came to a settlement that allowed Miller Coors to continue contract brewing for Pabst. So for a lot of people, they don't realize that Pabst Brewing 
a large, large portion of their actual brewing operations are done by Miller Coors. It's been that way for two decades now. And they were coming to the end of that contract. And Paps has a... Uh, an option built into that contract that allows them to extend this for another 10 years. And and they decided to exercise this option. And Miller, whose volumes in the U.S. have been declining, they've actually shut down one brewery or planning on shutting down another brewery, yep. said, we don't have the capacity to do that for you. Okay, well, this sounds like a huge problem for Miller Coors, but it shouldn't be a problem for Paps. They have a contract, and so yeah. they sued. Uh, the courts basically found... In favor of Pabst, uh, who, whose argument was, hey, this will put us out of business, and oh, hey, we have this piece of paper saying that, yeah, we can literally do this. They don't, we don't need their approval. Yes, this will put me out of business is a bad argument to me. That it is a terrible argument. That, that means bad business <laughs> yes. practices. Yeah, but you do have the piece of paper. That's and, all that And I even like Pabst as a company. I think they've been good friends of craft beer and PBR. I'm not going to hate on it, but by the old style, hate on it. Old style's terrible. <laughs> Natty Bow's terrible. Iron City is the worst. But PBR, nothing wrong with it. But yeah, that's bad. You made bad business decisions, <laughs> but they this wasn't in this case because yeah. they had this option in hand. They knew yeah. they had 10 more years to figure out an alternative worst case scenario. Miller Coors made bad business decisions that put them in ability to where they wouldn't be able to brew as much beer as they needed to if they fulfilled this contract. Yeah. So the argument went back and forth, and uh, essentially they argued that the current rate is $17 a barrel, uh, which is a low brewing rate that Miller Coors was doing this on Paps's behalf. Uh, was well below market and that they were actually losing money on this deal. They're not wrong, but again, that's your bad business <laughs> mistake. They said they'd need $42 yeah, per barrel to continue brewing <laughs> for best. Now, I want to tell you right now, that's actually a reasonable rate. Yeah. Here's the problem. That's, you got a piece of paper that you signed 20 years ago. This sounds like a huge problem for you, but it, it what are you going to do? Your, your mistake, Miller. So, yeah, the court's found in favor of Paps. Uh, they reached a settlement out of court. Uh, I think Paps kicks them, kicked them a little bit of money to basically keep the contract going. Everybody basically leaves happy. You can still drink your PBR, hipsters, and, you know, Miller Coors still has enough capacity and still getting enough in hand to, to be able to, you know, continue producing their own beer. But yeah, I'm sure the— It was an interesting drama to I'm watch sure the negotiation was it's probably they went from 17 to, like, Twenty-five. Yeah, something, something marginal. Like Everybody feels like they won at the table, and honestly, yeah, I mean, this really did save Pabst business. They would have had to close if this. There, there, there is no alternative for them at those kind of scales. They would have either had to dramatically scale back, which would have been precipitous decline, or I'm you know, close their doors. Make a suggestion to Pabst. These craft breweries that are closing down, that are fully developed breweries, you might want to go start buying a couple of these up right now. <laughs> well, he, here's the problem, though. Like, well, I, I mean, if they want to buy, like, they should have jumped on Green Flash's oh, facility yeah. that New Realm jumped on. Yeah. Because a lot of them, like, this, the, the overhead would be way too much for the actual True. capacity. By that point, you're looking yeah. at, like, PBR cans for, like, four pack for, like, $27. <laughs> Which, again, PBR, I got nothing against you, but. It ain't $27. It ain't $27 worth. <laughs> oh, man. So, next <laughs> Next up. Uh, so here, here's a happier story as well. Trillium. So we did cover this story, and I know we didn't necessarily have the most popular opinion when we basically said, uh, you know, to catch people back up, Trillium got accused of not paying its workers a, a livable wage. Uh, essentially, they had downgraded the hourly wages on some of their tipped workers, which wound up... Uh, you know, uh, it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. They they saw this company that charges upwards of twenty dollars for a four pack as basically raking its employees over the coals to make more money. 
We did kind of break that down over the fact that it, it represented a gross misunderstanding by your average person of how tipped positions works. And what, what was the one thing that we said was really the one thing they had been doing wrong? They were doing tips for their retail, retail employees. People. Yeah. Most people don't tip on retail. I can't fault them. I don't tip when I buy nothing but packaged beer to take with me. Yeah. What did the person do for me other than ring it out? And <laughs> and I say that as somebody who rings out beer. If I don't get yeah. tipped on package, I'm not I'm upset. Like, yeah. Now, tip me on the damn growlers, by the way, because that irritates the crap. No one tips on growlers, and that's the hardest thing we yeah. do behind the freaking bar. Yes. But... Uh, no one tips on retail, and so the retail workers, that decline in their hourly wound up hitting them grossly yeah. disproportionately hard, whereas the tipped bar employees who saw their hourly drop, they're still probably making more than you guys do at home. They definitely yeah. make more than me or Ryan do. Uh, the amount that Trillium's bar workers are making, I guarantee you, is enough to where that drop in hourly wages was a blip. But the retail employees really felt it. Yeah. So... What is Trillium doing? They raise their hourly rate uh, for the retail workers from to fifteen to eighteen dollars an hour, and you can still tip them. Most people still probably won't, and I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. But now they're making an actual livable wage, and they're they're getting paid uh, well above market for a retail position, and I think that is a fantastic thing. They they course corrected. Yeah, and I think what this for me, what I look at it when I look at this issue was we are watching. Well, let me start. I'm a huge soccer fan, and I have been a Major League Soccer fan since the league started in 1996. Now, Major League Soccer has had many, many growing pains, mostly because it keeps getting compared to the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and like the Premier League. I love the fact you didn't mention NHL, and the hockey lover in me is so sad. And actually, well, they're strangely enough, MLS and NHL might be on par at this point. Uh, that's, they're, they're, that's quite frightening for yeah, NHL, actually. It really, <laughs> really is, and kind of breaks my heart, but you're not wrong. But yeah, people will compare, you know, salaries and the actual day to day function of the league to these other leagues. And what I started developing and started thinking about over time is you're comparing Major League Soccer to the English Premier League. The English Premier League is like 120 years old. Major League Soccer is and is also one of old. the after the NFL, it's the most yeah. highly attended and highly watched league in the world. Yes, and they have a lot of money, and they'll and that developed over that hundred plus years. And the same with the NFL. The NFL is such a huge entity because it's almost a hundred years old now. NBA is around seventy five, maybe eighty years old. So when you were comparing, you compare MLS to these leagues you're missing the idea that we're actually watching MLS develop and grow like a little child right in front of us. And that means they're going to stumble and they're going to do stupid things and they're going to make one decision one day that comes back to haunt them 10 days later. And the league has to grow and change and develop over time to become what you want it to be. And the same thing with craft beer. A lot of people, like you said, a lot of people had don't have an understanding of how the pay structure works for a taproom bar where, you know, you get paid. In North Carolina, you have to get paid. Your minimum wage in North Carolina includes your tips. So you have to make your hourly rate has to be enough that your tips will get you to minimum wage. And I'm pretty sure the same is, it's the same for where Trillium is. Yeah, so, it is. Yeah, so your minimum, your actually hourly rate wage may look <laughs> low, but with your tips, you're probably making $20 an hour. 
and a lot of people who don't oftentimes if you were in a very very like hot well-run bar there's a reason that very few bartenders work 40 hours a week for one there's not that many high tip hours but also because you i'd say a realistic amount is oftentimes between 25 25 and 35 for a hot bar and someplace like trillium it's probably more than that yeah uh you can probably make 50 to 60k as a bartender At some of these high volume, bre- I, there's one I know of here in the city where they make v- amounts like that, and and this is Charlotte. Yeah, this is, and we don't have a Trillium. We have some very popular breweries. There we aren't many Trilliums. Trilliums. Yeah. So so it, it was kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of even how the structure works. People yeah. saw you know three dollars an hour and and they lost it. And and yeah. I get why if you don't understand yeah. that's just to cover payroll taxes is yeah. basically what your hourly is if you're working for tips. And what's happening is you know like like you said people. People who saw the pay structure and didn't understand it, they freaked out. And what Trillium has done is what I think a lot of craft breweries and a lot of bars, craft beer bars are going to start going through, especially craft beer breweries, are going to start going through over the next few years is they're going to start changing their pay structure for their taproom employees and their brewery staff and start including, well, the main thing they're going to start including is going to be health insurance. That's going to be the big thing that they're going to have, that they won't have to, but they're going to start as it grows as we grow as an industry and that's going to become a part of you know the it's going to become a part of your recruiting pitch to (laughs) a brewer if you're starting a brewery and you're going to be able to go to a brewer and say i won't be able to pay you as much salary but i'll be able to cover your health insurance as someone who's about to have a baby, that, that, is, <laughs> that absolutely is a huge, huge fucking deal. And that is one of the biggest differences between millennials and the later Gen Xers versus previous generations was fr- fringe benefits. And, and you know, well, benefits in general are far yeah. a larger percentage yes. of total compensation and a far more valued percentage of total compensation because health insurance can get so outrageous. And yeah. I agree. I mean, if you want to attract the best personnel. And here's the thing. A lot of people who entered into the beer industry up to this point, we've talked about this a little on, uh, on the show as well. Yeah. They're in the industry because they want to be. They're yeah. in the industry because it's cool or it's fun or they have just a passion for beer. But they're in the industry not because it's the career choice they made that would make the most money for them. Yeah. If you are a bartender especially, there are way, way more profitable places. Like Trillium is an outlier. For most like yeah. most beer bars and even most breweries, you could make way more money as a bartender working at a bar that has full liquor bar. Yep. Uh, you could make a lot more money being a bartender at Applebee's if your goal is to yeah, make, money. make money. You're working at a brewery yeah. because you want to work at a brewery yeah. in most of those cases. And I'm not trying to minimize the fact they still have to put food on the table. They still have to keep the lights on. But... The, the industry is finally starting to grow big enough to where there are so many beer jobs that there's yeah. competition within the beer, beer industry beer. because that's the only way that you can really yeah. like make these changes happen. Now, if you want a job working at a brewery, you got tons of options. <laughs> so now, yeah. which one do you want to work yeah. at? Which one do you want to apply your valuable skills at? And that's where you start seeing these changes happen. And again, yeah. Trillium's yeah. not been around that, that long. <laughs> so, I mean, it's only a five-year-old brewery, and I know in... We sometimes lose sight because in craft beer, we're like, oh, it's been around since 2013. It's been around for a while. And it's like, like no, in any not, other industry, they, they're still figuring out what the hell they're doing. How do we turn the lights on in here? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's one of those things. It's like we look at like a brewery that's been around for 10 years and we're like, oh, they're practically ancient. Uh, we look at a, brewery, like a business that's been around since 1980, like, like 1986, or, and we're like, holy shit, it's 
practically predating yes. craft Sierra beer. Sierra Nevada, they are grandfathers. In the yeah, craft they, industry, yeah. Literally. And then you look at them compared to your average, like they in most industries, that's barely a blip. That is <laughs> that is a proven business, not a veteran business. Yeah. So th- we kind of lose sight of the fact that, like, yeah, the the, te- the Tetralts who founded Trillium, they're still figuring out how to run this business. Yeah. They made a mistake. Part of it wasn't an issue. It got blown out of proportion. But the part that really was an issue, they have realized, they've course corrected. We should be applauding them for yeah. being flexible and realizing their mistake. Yeah, and I think, like I said, I think that's just part of the growing pains of this industry. This industry is like started in uh, it technically started in like 1979 but it hasn't really 69 even earlier than that uh, yeah anchor but i mean if you want a realistic but, yeah. standpoint it's been around since 2004 that was yeah. when the uh, the rapid expansion of the current round of craft yeah. beer happened so while there were craft breweries before that it first cracked about one and a half percent of the market share in, in 2004, 2004. and our our industry that we talk about there's plenty of history that predates it plenty of foundational moments breweries beers that predate it but craft beer in the sense of that we think of it today is 14 years old that's it that's it that's, that's literally that's nothing that's nothing that's nothing that's a blip we're still figuring it out uh, these businesses are still figuring it out consumers are still figuring it out it's one of the reasons for flagship fatigue for the fickleness of the average craft beer consumer and these aren't bad things but yeah. these are the things that have to be grown through and learned from and it would help if there was an you know organization that kind of was the watchdog or you know the overseer of the industry who would you know think about these issues and help breweries and help the people in the industry, you know, work through these issues before they become bad issues. Well, there goes our chances of ever getting Charlie Papazian or any from <laughs> from the BA on the show. Way to go, Ryan. Well, but if you think about it, uh, was it uh, Jeff Allworth, the Beervana blogger, written like three or four books about craft beer. He's like a great blogger, great podcaster. He, he, he did a survey on craft beer pay and salaries within the industry which is great and it get a, you if you go to his blog you can read it read about it and you get a lot of good information but my question is why does why did the brewers association who has a staff economist why didn't they do this i would think that's kind of their job and their but and really, and th- that's the forward. kind of useful info and uh, that they should be providing their members. Yeah. And it's not as if they don't have enough dues to do so. <laughs> like one of, the, I'm also subscribed. I'm uh, part of the USACM, uh, yeah. U.S. Association of Cider Makers, as well. And one of the things that I find so, I guess you know, inspiring about them is like there's this tiny little organization <laughs> whose staff basically consists of one overworked secretary. <laughs> And they just finally started, they funded a study from Nielsen, Nielsen Data, uh, to basically start pulling information about cider sales throughout the nation. And they are finally releasing these results for the first time yeah. ever. And they're doing them on a, like a pay basis, but it's, you know, short, yeah. short, short money to get valuable market data and, yeah. and insight into the industry. And they're excited about this. Yeah. And they're passionate about this. And they're presenting this data in a way, like they're, they're, they're reaching out to their members and saying, hey, we have this for you to do your business better. Yeah. We want you to have this. This is our purpose. And sometimes it does feel like the BA is more caught up in 
stumping for craft beer than actually helping, helping the brewery and, or even yeah. helping craft beer the category than actually helping yeah. their members and it should be about both. I mean, yeah. you need that representative. You got the Beer Institute represents all beer. The BA should be able to stump and let and work on legislation and work on helping out craft beer as a whole. But at also, this point, people know what craft beer is. Yeah. You need to provide the tools for these breweries that are often founded by people with very little business experience to be able yes. to grow their businesses. And I think I go back to like our first or second episode when we had Brian Roth and we were talking about his articles about what the BA was doing for diversity and the first time he asked a question it seemed to them that was they had never thought about diversity and inclusion up until that point oh, and yeah. it was just like just was never even a question like what 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 do you what do you do every day yeah <laughs> it's like it, office space like <laughs> what exactly do you do every day and, and it's <laughs> <laughs> All it takes is going to one GABF to realize it's like this isn't like a tiny organization with like yeah. this isn't one overworked secretary. This isn't even the <laughs> NC Brewers Guild who has two overworked secretaries. This is this is this is a major organization. By the way, with, they have with, a new executive director, by the way, uh, for the Brewers Guild. Here yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, um, which is exciting. Yeah, but should be interesting. No, this is. But, but yeah, the this, this is a is, large yeah. organization. Is, is it a megacorp? No. Do they have endless money? Absolutely not. But. These are the places their resources are supposed to be spent in the first place. Yeah, you have a and staff an, economist who does a blog post like every month. And always <laughs> has really good information, but it, sometimes it does feel like he's basically parsing Nielsen and IRI, and that's it. Yeah. And <laughs> Nielsen's valuable. We've talked on the show a little bit before that IRI is already a very limited utility yeah. unless you're looking at it for what it is. So it's, yeah, it, it, guys, we need the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are, in, in, like, you know, the pay of the people within the industry, that's not hard. That That's almost public record stuff that you could easily pull. Yeah. And not only that, but it's important for, imagine you're starting a brewery and you've never owned a business before. You're you're a guy who, you did IT for a living and yeah. you just happen to be an avid home brewer. You want to start your own brewery. What do you pay your employees? Yeah, At exactly. best, now you can go around to the other breweries and hope they you know, give you – or hope they know what they're doing. And, and, and given hope how fast the industry's growing, they might not have any idea themselves. And hope they don't basically just have indentured servants. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and this is this is how the problems start because they you don't know what you don't know. I, I don't blame a lot of these young yeah. breweries because they have no idea what the yeah. labor is worth. I've done consultations for breweries around the city where they've asked me, like, what do I pay my sales reps? And, and you know, even – from there they, they, they have literally no yeah. idea where to even start and it's like well that's a complicated question <laughs> and it depends on what you're trying to accomplish with yeah. that person and what level of skill you need but like they don't even know where to start they don't know the questions to ask and, and these are the things that it does feel like sometimes that information should be more readily accessible it's not hard for an organization as large as the BA to find and parse and I think they it's kind of like with the diversity I think <clears throat> it's like in fits and starts and that they make these they do things that get to that but it's not a consistent it's not a consistent day-to-day thing that they do in my in from what i can see and maybe like, and we love the ba yeah, but oh, yeah, yeah without the ba they would there is no there's no craft, craft beer, beer. <laughs> but by the same token like that doesn't mean we can't also see ways for them to be better stewards of the industry and, yeah. and do a better job of providing young breweries, yeah. especially with the tools needed to succeed. And I think you're right. I think in the last few years they got too caught up with the politics, well, not the politics, but they were working so hard on getting the excise taxes 
the excess tax reform. That that was definitely that was definitely the big one. And now that now it's tariff reform. So yeah. just as soon as they got that one passed, now they have to try and see the aluminum and steel tariffs brought yeah. back or, or pulled off rather. And I think that pulls them away from a lot of the day to day actual things that breweries need to need to know and need to do to actually be functioning businesses. And honestly, especially with the tariffs, I wish they would just let the Beer Institute handle that. There's a lot, yeah. lot more firepower coming from the from, big brewers yeah. anyways. Let them take that one. Focus on helping your particular segment. It, yeah. it'll, it will follow. Yeah. There's <laughs> absolutely no way... <laughs> Like, if those tariffs get repealed, it's not going to be due to pressure from the BA. It's going to be pressure from the Beer <laughs> Institute, and, 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 it, and the ones who are really going to benefit even more than yeah. the craft breweries are going to be exactly yeah. that. So, yeah, they let, let them field that one. Focus on things more specific to your segment. Yeah. All right, so that's all the news we got today. You got a beer recommendation for us, Ryan? I'm going to go with Highwire 10W40. Now... If you live anywhere within Highwire's footprint, I guarantee you have heard of this beer. I will say 10W40 comes out right around the same time that another beer from another Asheville brewery comes out that everybody flocks around and buys up. And I will say that... You obviously <laughs> mean uh, Holly King from Green Man <laughs> Brewery out of Asheville. Yes. Yes, Holly <laughs> King from Green Man. Sorry, Eddie. <laughs> but... Yeah, I'm talking about Cold Mountain. Every like the original North Carolina. I don't want to call it a whale. I mean, it's not an inaccurate description. I though. guess People, yeah, North, the original North Carolina whale. So from those outside of Highlands footprint, because Cold Mountain's actually not available that widely. <laughs> is, That's the, yeah, they do it is a, a winter ale. Um, basically, five point eight percent is basically Spicy. the exact same style as something, for example, Great Lakes Christmas yep. or Thirsty Dog Twelve Dogs of Christmas. Yep. Um, people line up, lose their minds, go absolute ape shit for Cold Mountain every single year. Yeah. And I like, I love talking to people who are into craft beer who moved to North Carolina right around the time that Cold Mountain comes out, and they're like, "Oh, I heard about this beer, Cold Mountain," and then they taste it, and you're like, "Huh, okay, yeah." It's just literally, like, huh? And th- th- this was. <laughs> And here's here's the thing. I'm going to do this caveat of I actually really like a lot of Highlands beer. Oh, I, I love Highlands. respect the hell out of the Wongs. They're doing like they. I mean, that is the original Asheville brewery. It's one of the most storied breweries in the South. Cold Mountain. Hot take. I like Thunderstruck better. I, I'll, you know what? I do too. <laughs> I do too. I'm not even mad about that. I, hot yeah. take. Black Watch is the best beer they yes, do. It, yes, it is. That, they, <laughs> it comes out also around the same, same time. time. Those um, three beers all come around yeah, the same yeah, time, yeah. and we still got Thunderstruck on the shelf. And I'm like, you people. Yeah, y'all, no, it y'all drives, drives us nuts. <laughs> like, and, and it's not even... like, So it's a Christmas sale that everybody loses their minds for, and it's not even... like, it, like This is the best year I've ever had of it, and it's still... Okay. I think... There's like, a better one made right here in Charlotte. Yeah. Triple C White Blaze. I'm looking at you. Yeah. And mm. this isn't a knock on Highland. I love no Highland, problem. but the, I don't get the the need to go out and lose your mind over it. You just buy some white blaze. Yeah, I'll get to 10W40 in a second, but I will say that I think I think Cold Mountain is the it is like you said, it's very hard to get. It comes out one time a year. And it was the original like I said, it's the original whale. So there are people it's a whole lot of clout. Yeah. There are people, I will say, the people that buy it and look for it and search for it and buy all of it they can, they are the they are from Craft Beer 1.0. 
if you really look in like if you looking at the people who are coming in to buy that's who it is it's the people who have been in the craft beer specifically north carolina craft beer since almost the beginning and that clout remains their love of cold mountain is a love of something of of their (laughs) their love of cold mountain is their love of themselves when they were cool (laughs) <laughs> basically when oh, they were man. young and cool dude shots fired lord <laughs> but, yeah i mean well that's like this there's lots of music that i still like from when i was younger and a cooler person that you know when you look back it might not have been the best music but i still love it and that's kind of what i think happens with cold mountain but anyway back to 10w40 back to 10w40 <laughs> because tangents beer. that doesn't describe <laughs> us at all it 10w40 is a coffee brewed imperial stout and it is just you get coffee, chocolate, vanilla. It's just this wonderful, like warming. This is a great winter beer, honestly. And it comes in these awesome, just like plain black cans black with just matte cans with plain <laughs> white font on it. Like yeah. you could be mistake. You can mistake it for like motor oil if you didn't yeah. realize that it was a beer, which is basically which is why the point. they have yeah. a. It's fun to have like a in like pretty big letters on there. Contains alcohol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, and the real worry was that people were going to chug motor oil. And the real worry is somebody might accidentally try to pour this into their car. I just want to see what would happen. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. They should have just put contains ethanol because that would have really screwed with people. <laughs> I just want to see what people do. Oh. The other cool thing about it is they use coffee from a local roaster, Dynamite, and they use chocolate from French Broad Chocolates. So everything they use in this it, Asheville is pretty sourced. local. Yeah, yeah, and dude, Dynamite does some really good coffee. Yeah. I pick up some of their stuff at Common Market from time to time. Yeah. I really, really enjoy what they're putting yeah. out. So that's my beer recommendation. And you know, it's, and again, it's this goes to my love of dark beers like this. Anyway, so ooh, yeah. hot take: Barrel Aged Ten W Forty is overrated. 10W40 yeah. is amazing. Barrel Age is overrated. Yeah, I can, um, yeah. I'll say the opposite yes. for Cold Mountain. Imperial Cold Mountain is, is delicious. <laughs> yes. Barrel Age Cold Mountain is delicious. Standard Cold Mountain is eh. it's, it's 5.8 spiced ale. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to recommend it, but I'm going to throw out just a shout out because I, I have to do it because I adore this beer and it's like my one Insta buy. No matter, they could charge $100 for it and I buy it. Uh, Barrel, Barrel Age Old Rasputin is on the shelves. I have never had Barrel Age Old Rasputin. I have a three year vertical right now. And mm. I got uh, this year's, I got two bottles, so we can crack one together. I, I <laughs> cannot speak enough of how good that was the best beer I had all last year was Barrel Age Old Rasputin. I love, love, love that beer. Um, that is, you want a key example of how a good, in my opinion, a good, not great beer like normal Rasputin can transform in a barrel. Uh, that goes from a good, albeit forgettable beer in this modern era to being just basically the best thing on the market. It'll run yeah. you. It's like they downgraded to 500 mil bottle, 500 milliliter bottles this year. Uh, it was in 750s before, and they're still charging oh. the same price. But I'm still, <laughs> I, I, I don't give a shit. I'll still buy it. Uh, the one I am going to recommend though is the uh, Hofstetten Granite Bock. So most people, I'd say even who are big into like German beer, don't really know much about Hofstetten. They are a tiny little farmhouse brewery uh, in the countryside of Germany. They, I mean, they, and they have an on-site maltery, um, an on-site <laughs> farm, on-site brew house. Uh, and they've also been around since the 1200s. They are wow. like tenured, tenured, tenured. But they're one of the few who rather than being... Steeped in tradition, though they do, are, they do have an enormous amount of tradition and history to the place. They're still trying to innovate and still trying to do 
uh, great things for a modern. They feel like an American farmhouse craft brewery, but in Germany. And I, I've really liked everything I've had from them. And, and probably my favorite and the one that's gotten them the most attention lately has been their Granite Bock, uh, which it, it's a it's a it's a Bock uh, bordering bordering on a double Bock, but it, actually it pretty much is a double Bock. But <laughs> the way that it is done is actually more akin to a stein beer so people who aren't familiar with the german language stein beer just means stone beer so they actually create the they boil the wort yeah in this beer by dropping like yeah superheated <laughs> rocks into it and using that to bring it up to a boil which is not only heavy metal as hell it's also <laughs> it, it caramelizes the wort sugars so it gives it this rich caramely yeah. it's like it, it's got a lot of those flavors that you might love out of a doppelbacher or especially have like a scotch ale but just turned up <laughs> so it, it is it is a beautiful beautiful beer is definitely one that if you get an opportunity to look it up uh, it is for sale in Charlotte but but you'd be hard pressed to find any place that has it on tab. I had brought it in recently just because I, it is such a beautiful beer. But yeah, if you ever get a chance to try anything from Hofstetten, it's definitely worth looking up. And this one in particular is just, it's so cool. It's awesome. It's, you know, about seven and a half percent. It is very, very much worth giving a try. Cool. Yeah, All right. Yes, it sounds great. What do you got for non beer recommendations, Seth? Uh, non beer recommendation is I am going to recommend. Uh, actually, I recommended a few weeks ago the Netflix show, cooking show, The Final Table. That might have come up. Yeah. And so we finally we finally watched the last episodes last night. And this is my <coughs> new... This is the best cooking competition show ever made. I'm just going to say that because it's... It takes... Uh, has it lasted like 27 seasons like Chopped? Because if not, I don't even want to hear oh, about no, it. I'll, well, trust me, I've what? No, I love Chopped. And uh, other than chopped maybe and Chopped, and Chopped just feels like home. Yeah, I'll yeah. agree with you. You're not wrong. Yeah, and it, But it, I think it takes, because I think it combines a lot of the elements of Chopped and then adds like, some Iron Chef. A little bit of Iron Chef without the campiness, which that's kind of that is of the, the appeal, the of appeal Iron of the Chef. original Iron <laughs> Chef. But adds a little bit of the Iron Chef. But then it also adds a little bit of uh, Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown, and it just combines all that stuff, and you get this really Anthony Bourdain, great rest in show. peace. Yeah, and you get this really great show, and like luckily you've seen the final episode, so we can kind of talk about it. And these my favorite my favorite episode might be Japan, just because of Darren. Is it Darren? Yeah, it's from Darren. Canada. Yeah, the guy who looks like the Miz. Like, yeah, like <laughs> but he just talks about. He is, as he says, he's a white boy from Canada who wants to cook Japanese food, and he is, and he's not just doing cultural so, appropri- appropriation. He is so. Really so let's cover the final four. Oh yeah, like, like in in brief here. By uh, the way, I picked the final four like three episodes. Did you really? Uh, the end. Okay, yeah. I was about to say we pick, we picked the Australian dads. So like the they, final four is these fucking cool. They're though. awesome. I want to hang out with them. I want to be them. So yeah. the final four is these two Australian chefs. Um, one, Shane like, and Mark. Shane and Mark who are like the most <laughs> like dad jokey, goofy, yeah. hilarious. Like they're both incredible chefs. They, have, yes. they, they basically every... Every single country's food, they they just showed an expert. I don't think they ever got to the final plate. No, I don't think they did either. But 
like what they were producing was absolutely incredible, but they're just so goofy and fun. Like I want to hang out <laughs> yes. with them so bad. And then you have Darren, which as you're saying, he's a white boy from Calgary yep. who just happened to really fall in love with Japanese cuisine after a early adulthood experience at a sushi restaurant yeah. and has really dived in. Like I was worried, like I think everybody in America at this point knows some, you know, white otaku guy who really just <laughs> I super love Japanese. I got a friend who went to Japan for an uh for a study abroad and came back. He was like, I didn't actually love Japan, I just loved anime. <laughs> and you know those people. This guy yeah. does not. Like he he truly has a passion for Japanese culture and especially for Japanese cuisine. Yeah. He's taught himself the traditional ways of how to make it. He's really passionate about it, and he has a legitimate and respected Japanese restaurant in Calgary. Um, and they, and he and his partner Tim, who used to work with the, he used to be the executive, the executive chef, chef of French, the French Laundry. Laundry. <laughs> which, if you don't know anything about restaurants, French Laundry is one of probably the top five <laughs> restaurants in America and yes. one of the top in the world. Uh, and he left that because he wanted to spend more time with his family yep. so he just created a small little uh, restaurant of his own so he could kind of do his own thing spend time with his yep. kids but, which I respect the hell out of yeah but uh, Darren he talked about you know they he and Tim won their comp- won that competition and it was that was like the most emotional moment in the whole 10 episodes because oh for the Japanese competition yeah, yeah. this like like you said yeah three he Japanese uh, judges, including yeah. uh, including a food critic, and they just yeah. looked at them and they were like, "This, you, yeah. you did it the way it should be done." And for yeah. this guy who has been critiqued his entire career for yeah. being white dude making Japanese food, like he he teared up immediately, yeah. and so did I, man. Yeah, like, yeah I'm sorry. I was like, credit. yeah, this is yeah, it's kind of dusty in here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Allergies. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah. But then and then it's all those onions that are chopping. But my fa- my favorite team might be uh, Charles and Rodrigo. The traveling culinary artist, Charles. (laughs) Dude, okay, I liked Rodrigo. Rodrigo. Charles is the worst. Charles is the worst. For one, it took me three episodes to figure out if it was a guy or a girl, which is it's fine. Like, like gender ambiguous, have fun. It's just like literally, I got to the third episode, I was like, oh. Uh, Rodrigo seemed fine. I like Rodrigo. I respected his viewpoint. But it was funny. It's like when they get to the French episode, and he was like, yeah, Charles is French. I'm like, what? What? You said what? Yeah, I was like, I thought Charles was like Spanish or maybe. Hell no, dude. I took one look at him. I was like, oh, that dude's French. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing he could have been. He's half half French, half Colombian. He's half French, half Colombian. So I think that's what kind of screwed me up because he, yeah. Because they spent the whole, every episode talking Spanish to each other. But yeah. yeah, I liked Rodrigo. Dude, Charles was the worst. And I think my other, well, they weren't my favorite, but it was look, the running joke between Leah and I was how will Alex and Ash end up in the final plate this time? Oh, yeah. No, it was like every, <laughs> every single round. They were like, what was it? Like it was three out of the first four they wound up there. And, I, I think my favorite was, uh, was it Espadras or Espadas? Oh, Edris. 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 Edris just seemed like the most chill dude on yeah, the, the planet. Yeah, the Mexican and the Brazilian dude. They were they were having fun. Dude, they were having a great time. Edris too, like he he can make tacos and he can yeah. make like he has a he can make Mexican cuisine. Great Mexican yeah. cuisine, but every single thing they're like how are we going to make this? He's like I can add salsa to it. Like the look on his face <laughs> in the French episode because he looked it so you, over his head. Yeah, like if you do not know French cooking is all about technique and tradition and and butter, Ed- yeah, so and much butter. butter. And Edris, like as he said, I started with a taco stand in L.A. <laughs> that was with, his with cooking skills I learned from my, my mom. mother. Yes. 
and he, like he was in this uh, and there was just a look on his face like Lee and I both looked at it, like he's done well every single round it was like they, he did uh, As they got he did Mexican, harder, Mexican yeah. food because that was the first round but like the Japanese round he did Mexican Japanese food he did <laughs> Mexican American food like he did Mexican <laughs> everything food he got to the French he's like fuck and his partner who's classically trained was like don't, don't worry I'll get, I'll get you us just do what this. I tell you to do we'll I'll, get, I'll get us through this and then there was the American and the Scottish guy who were fun, dude. The whole the whole show yeah, is just show, fantastic. The show was great. Yeah, if, yeah. If definitely you look it, it up, and it's a quick watch too. It's all what ten episodes. Ten episodes. So yeah, really. And they're easy. like forty five minutes each, and you know you can like hit two or three at once. And it's one of the yeah. few too because of the way that they do the final panel with all of those legendary high quality chefs. I'm going to add up and how many to, Michelin stars they have. Uh, at some it's, point uh, today. it's unbelievable. Like, you got, like half of them have three Michelin stars, <laughs> which if you don't know anything about the Michelin system, that's the highest you can get, and it's almost unheard of. Uh, like America's first female chef to get three Michelin stars just happened like two weeks ago. Yeah. So it's unheard of, and to and see them all sitting at that table and selecting one of those four to sit among them as a <laughs> member of their fraternity. It's the first time in a cooking competition i didn't feel like oh that'll just go on a resume i was like that means no, that actually means something yeah, in, like in the in the final episode they all had to present their dish to the judges <laughs> and then they all had to say what this would mean to them and it and they all talked about it like this and even shane and mark who are they were the oldest by far of the chefs and they oh not even they've all been cooking <laughs> like they've been professional chefs for like 20 25 years and they're like this and shane and mark literally had like the day before won his first michelin star for his restaurant he's like you know, winning this will actually be bigger. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just absolutely. Yeah, it, it was it was a great show. So definitely look it up. And like I said, e- easy to watch. Um, you so, stay with Netflix. Yeah, so to, so uh, actually, okay, I'll do I'll do the the Netflix one first. I got one Netflix and one Amazon Prime because that's uh, basically yeah. my life now. <laughs> Uh, so another one for Netflix. It will uh, be mine soon. <laughs> the Ballad of Buster Scruggs uh, is a Western anthology movie. Six completely unconnected stories set in the Wild West uh, done by the Coen brothers. I had <laughs> no idea what this was. I actually watched it on a recommendation from my dad of all people. Like He, he was like, you have to watch this. It is amazing. Have you seen it, Ryan? <laughs> Not yet. Um, it is yeah. really, really good. So... It starts off with just a comical story of a gunslinger in the West named Buster Scruggs, who <laughs> plays guitar and sings about. And I forget the name of the actor who plays him, but he's like the Weasleyest little like uh, Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim Blake Nelson. If you've ever seen pictures of him, he's like the hardest person to ever be convinced as a cowboy. And the whole thing is hilarious. It, it is a fantastically just ridiculously hilarious story. Yeah. And then it goes from there into a deeply ironic you know, tragic story starring James Franco and just keeps going for everything through. It ends on a dark. It's a Coen Brothers movie. Poe, like, like Poe-esque, like Edgar Allan Poe-esque, like, like dark, deep, dark, grim, gothic take on, on like a stagecoach. it's dark and weird. Because it's, it's a Coen, Coen Brothers, Brothers movie. movie. And it's just like every single one of the stories was great. They were all completely different, like takes on the West and had a whole different, almost genre in and of themselves. I would highly... Highly recommend you give it a watch. I mean, it's you know, about the dura- it's an hour and a half. Yeah, you an hour and a half of your life. It is very much worth watching. It shows. I, I still think there is an enormous like westerns are kind of out of out of fashion. Kind of have been since the seventies, with a few exceptions here or there, like yeah. True Grit. But yeah, I, I think there's True Grit, Deadwood. I mean, there, yeah. there's a handful, but I think there's a lot to still ring out of that fantastic retelling yeah. of American history, and, and oh. I'd, I'd like to see more stuff set there. By the way, according to reports, there will be a Deadwood movie. 
Is there really? David Do they have is apparently to? working on is apparently like almost done with the script. Of course, do they have that to bring back Timothy Oliphant? Because I'm just going to tell you right, yeah. dude. Timothy Oliphant is the worst actor on the planet. Oh, uh, f- he is okay. in a lot of great stuff. He's terrible. Everything he's in, it's he's been in a lot of good stuff. I love he's Timothy Oliphant. Horrible, horrible actor. I think he is absolute <laughs> trash. I love Deadwood. Timothy Oliphant is terrible. Uh, so ending on a more positive note, in my opinion, the best show. On TV right now. Uh, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on okay. Amazon Prime. I've recommended it before on here. I'm going to recommend it again. It is a show that covers a uh, comedian in the 1950s who's from... Joan Rivers. Uh, yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Basically, he's from a uh, an upper-class uh, Jewish family in New York City in the late 50s. It is... Not the most interesting pitch, but trust me, the the sheer amount of humor, heart, uh, nuanced storytelling, uh, just the characterization, the acting, everything is just so, so high quality that, like, I would be hard-pressed to be convinced there's anything else that's actively coming out with new episodes right now that is on that same level. It is absolutely, maybe Game Game of Thrones is about the only one I can think of, but it's such a different genre that you can't even really compare the two. Uh, I would highly recommend watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Second season just dropped. It is just as good as the first, and the, the show the show is wonderful, absolutely yeah. wonderful. I think what you, your description of it is when you say it, it's a simple plot, but I think the to me, sort of something like Game of Thrones, which is made to be big and it's loud. epic. Yeah, simple plots make more sense <laughs> if simple plots executed well are always better than you know. Something like SWAT, where there's uh, our <laughs> FBI, where there's like a high concept. We have all this stuff going on, but it's not about the execution. It's just about we have simple concept. We'll yeah. make a movie starring Legos. Lego movie, greatest movie ever made. Yeah, yes, it is. Other, yeah. other than one of the other simplest <laughs> concepts, Michael Jordan plays basketball against space aliens to save the Looney Tunes. Very simple concept. Perfect execution. My personal favorite movie ever made. Speaking of, we're doing a photo shoot. We got a uh, Nelly has like a little Toon Squad onesie. And I got a Bugs jersey, and Chris has a Lola jersey. We're going to do like a photo shoot all together. And yeah, yeah, that's. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm saying that publicly, and I I am proud of that. Oh, and I'm just trying to think of. Oh, since there's a lot. Yeah. Justif, by the way, you don't like Timothy Dolphant. Justified is one of the greatest. Sh- Justified is. One I of have the best no shows idea. Ever. It is one of the best shows of all time. Even and Raylan, it, it's. I guarantee you, he's not good in it. No matter what you might think, <laughs> he's terrible. I will say they were in the strange, in strangely the way you say that, the way they did like the last two seasons. He's not in a lot of it. He's the. He's technically the star, but he's. I like it better like already. A lot of I it. Like, I like it better already. <laughs> but then I think that's why it's one of the best shows, is because it. Has a main character who disappears for a huge swaths of time, it's and it doesn't good. matter. It so, does not so matter. Vikings. That was one of the things yeah. that impressed me the most about Vikings was they wound up getting rid of Ragnar, the main yeah. character. Um, you know, spoiler alert, guys. Ragnar <laughs> winds up dying, and the, the you know the show not only continues but is every bit as compelling. Yeah. And that I think is the true sign of a sh- a well done show. Uh, well done any form of fiction. I mean, that was one of the great coup d'etats of Game of, Game of Thrones. Of Thrones. <laughs> exactly. They killed Ned Stark, and it enhanced the plot. Yeah. Uh, Vikings, the, the legacy of Ragnar is almost a character in its own right, and so when he leaves, seeing his sons and their struggles and them continuing the story is is every bit as compelling as it was before. So I, I 
really do respect shows that are able to have their stars, if not, you know, leave the show entirely, at least step back and still tell those compelling stories. But you say that, and the same with Ned Stark. He is still a character in that show. Oh my years God! Down the road he because he's his still death, arguably yeah. one of the most important characters. Because yeah, his death is like one of the maybe the single most important moment in the show because it set <laughs> everything else everything in else in motion. I will say, like I was talking to somebody about this. Actually, I think it was yesterday. Um, as good as Game of Thrones is, and as good as every aspect of it is, even more than Peter Dinklage, I think the actor you cannot do that show without is Lena Headey. Yes, that you could yeah. not have cast Cersei better, and she is amazing in everything I've ever seen her in. But that goes to like every good comic book, comic book movie. Good villain. The villain is what makes the movie. Yep, I it, love Batman, yeah. but but it's the you, Joker. It's the Joker that makes that. Yeah. I I think Superman's a trash character, but he's but, better because, because Lex, Lex Luthor, Luthor is a great you, character. If you have a great Lex Luthor, Superman, it almost it's almost Superman superfluous. Doesn't matter. He's yeah. He is the every man. He is the good guy. Yeah. That that can be in that that's a set stock character in across like all of literature. You don't watch X Men for Cyclops. Yeah. You watch X Men for Magneto. Yeah, the bad guy is where you get the. That's why you end up with these really good British Shakespearean actors playing all the bad guys because that's the good role. Yeah, that was even one. <laughs> that was even something I learned when I was doing professional wrestling. Was literally like the heel makes the story, yeah. the bad guy makes the story, the good guy you're just there to absorb the uh, the applause. Yeah. You need a good bad guy in any sort of good storytelling, and she is so yeah, she is. so good at, at, at playing yeah. that role. And that's such a complex role from from every standpoint. Yeah. That I, I am I marvel every time she's on the screen. I'm just yep. absolutely in awe. Yep. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's about all we got for you today, man. We almost did as much content about non-beer stuff as we did about beer stuff today, which is. It's actually pretty typical for us. Yeah, that's, like, that's normal. All right. So, uh, where can they find you online, Ryan? <laughs> ostensibly at beercounselor.net and medium.com. And you can find me ostensibly at liquidassets.blog, and uh, you can find us at uh, betweenthepints.com. Please, guys, uh, subscribe online if you haven't already. It really helps uh, iTunes and and Google Play really kind of pick up on us and and help uh, introduce us to other people who might be interested and listen to the podcast. Hopefully big things. I'll say big things, but changes you. I'll say, yeah, big things will be coming we are working. We're bursting we're with confidence, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we are working on doing things that will make this show more consistent and better. I was every time you talk about the future of this show, I wind up leaving depressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we because we both have like kids. Already have a kid. I will have a kid and job changes and housing changes yeah. and but they, hopefully. hopefully after January, all the big actual things will have happened. He'll just be figuring out how to. You better knock on some fucking wood. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Guys, thanks again for joining <laughs> us. We'll see you on the next episode, and have a great week. Slodger. <laughs>